We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of My Bodyguard on September 26, 1980. It was written by Alan Ormsby, directed by Tony Bill, and released by 20th Century Fox. Tony Bill, Academy Award-winning producer of The Sting, ran an office on Market Street in Venice to promote up-and-coming filmmakers. As a result, the opening credits introduced the picture as a Market Street film. Bill was also an instructor at Sherwood Oaks Experimental College in Los Angeles, teaching what he knew of the film industry. When unknown screenwriter Alan Ormsby's script for My Bodyguard was given to him by a colleague, he was attracted to the story of teens that didn't all lump into existing stereotypical teenage roles. He reached out to Ormsby by phone, to option the script out of his own pocket. Bill spent five months pitching it to studios who passed, though occasionally offered him other directing gigs, hoping to profit off of his Academy Award-winning reputation. He turned down these extraneous offers to continue seeking financing, which he eventually got from Melvin Simon, the same shopping mall mogul who invested his own money getting the stuntman greenlit earlier this year and would go on to EP the Porky's trilogy. After turning it down initially, 20th Century Fox bought a 50% stake in the film upon its completion. I'm not sure why the director was pushing this script so hard. I'm not totally sure either. It doesn't feel... Though it's a pre-John Hughes movie, and it's important to realize that. I guess. That's fair. I'm not super familiar with high school films prior to this. Yeah. But I don't... This I was the first one... I can't think one... of anything that stands out in this film that I'm like... If you read this script, you'd know you had to make this film. Mm -hmm. Based on the reviews I've read, what stands out the most is that these kids felt like relatable, real teenage kids, which is not the way the children were portrayed. That makes sense to me, because that's actually my compliment to the film, was the casting, which yeah. I, maybe it was also written into the script, but the casting, I think, is fabulous. Yeah, and not, not just because of having Dylan in it also, but it reminds me a lot of Little Darlings in terms of, like, I believe all these kids 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's weird, like, to compare it to something like Ordinary People, which also had Adam Baldwin. That's true, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, playing, but very different feel of teenagers in high school. Yeah. Because they all seemed like they were older than mm -hmm. high yeah. school age. But all of these kids were actually, like, they, they played 14, 15. They were 14, 15. Although... I think Adam Baldwin was like a few years older than the other kids, which added to the height difference. Yeah, yeah. But he was supposed to be a giant anyway. In 2004, Dimension Films acquired the remake rights to the film, and a year later, Disney was reportedly taking a swing at a reboot. But as of yet, nothing has come to fruition, unless you count Drillbit Taylor, which, why would you? <laughs> Coincidentally, in the film Drillbit Taylor, during a sequence where the kids are auditioning bodyguards to protect them from bullies, Adam Baldwin shows up as an applicant in the same outfit that he wears throughout this film to say, Kids hiring a bodyguard to take care of a bully? Stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> they don't hire that him. That is such an inside joke that I think most people would not <laughs> yeah, catch. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a deep cut, but they were just like, are people going to think this is a ripoff of my bodyguard? Not if we make a My Bodyguard joke in it. 
but this was that was a John Hughes script, drove at Taylor. So um, that's it's funny that he sort of made all those high school movies. It was after he died, obviously, but um, it was you know his house was just overflowing with scripts when he passed away of unproduced screenplays. Yeah, sometimes so. unproduced screenplays are unproduced <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, this film marked the first feature film appearance of. Richard Cusack as Principal Raff, and also the first role for his daughter Joan Cusack. And she is she's so adorably like normal looking in this yes. movie. Yeah. Big braces, crazy hair. It's like this is the this is like the craziest I've ever seen her. Yeah. Well, and I've it, seen her in the Adams family. But it reminds <laughs> me a little bit of her which one was that? I always get the confused. Was it Pretty in Pink? I don't Where know. Or Sixteen Candles? Or 16 candles. Yeah, I always get those two confused. It's one of those two, but she's, you know, she's got braces. She's got the big frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. And when she goes to the dance. Yeah, I think that's I, that candles. must be 16 candles. Yeah, because they go to the dance and she's wearing the the little uh, like red sweater with like a, a it has a girl applique on it. That's also wearing a skirt. And when she drinks out of the fountain, she uses the skirt to dry her mouth. <laughs> off. But it's great. She's an adorable dork. The film opens on a kid riding his bike home. This is Clifford. And by home, I mean the hotel that his father manages. On his way through the lobby, a hostess wishes him luck. The actress's last name is Dylan, and she looks enough like Matt to be his older sister, but I couldn't confirm that anyway. Yeah, I I thought, I was like, man, this girl weirdly looks like Matt Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> and when I saw her, and I, I hope that they are related. Because I'm, otherwise... I'm pretty sure it is his older sister, because he does have an older sister. Uh, we see Clifford's grandmother, played by Ruth Gordon, at a hotel bar, She's having a bit of an inappropriate conversation with a married man about how her ex was obsessed with television and she would have to drag him to the bed. The man's wife, seated directly next to them, is not amused. Grandma notices Clifford and introduces him to the Dumpies. These are the Dumpies from Cincinnati. Dumpies. Evidently, he makes greeting cards and the wife writes the words. Grandma asks if they have any X-rated products. Clifford heads to his dad's office and overhears the tail end of a phone argument about grandma being inappropriate all over the hotel. Clifford absentmindedly plays with an X-Wing toy while his dad finishes the call. He also has a Star Wars poster in his room later. Yeah. But um, that's fun. When Clifford tells his dad that grandma's at the bar, they both have to leave immediately to find her before she causes any more problems. It, it, it seems like I get that this is a common occurrence. Then why is it allowed to happen? Yeah. Like they, she go, she says that they don't make charge me anything for the liquor. It's just like why? tell them to charge her. Yeah, tell yeah. them. Then, they, then no she more can't do liquor. that. Yeah. On the way, they encounter Griffith, Dad's underling, who says that the fourth floor is fucked. Grandma's hitting on married customers, and the senator's room was double booked. Dad offers to handle everything except for the fourth floor, and then he goes to apologize to the dumpies, and Clifford heads upstairs to their room, where Grandma jumps out, pretending to be a swarm of bats to scare him. I'm sorry. I did I scare you, baby. You didn't scare me. I saw you. You did not, you little liar. Nobody suspects a bad attack. I saw it coming a mile off. Oh. They get in a brief pillow fight before she unloads a bunch of back-to-school gifts on him. When they hear Dad coming, she hides in the closet, and he isn't fooled for a second. He sits Mom down and tells her to stop hitting on people so he doesn't lose his job. Clifford is dropped off across the street from school the next day by a fancy hotel-owned car. At school, Clifford tries to take a seat at the back of the class, 
but a girl, Shelly, that's the Joan Cusack character, says it's taken, so he takes the seat one up from that next to the class hottie. Moody, the jock, shows up. He's late to class, and Shelly points out the seat that she saved him, but he wants Clifford's seat, and Clifford won't budge, so he evicts the kid on the other side. Well, and and he totally does not want Shelly's seat. Right. Like He, he doesn't want to sit next to her. Yeah. And actually, by the end of this shot, there's already another kid sitting in that seat. So it doesn't even make sense that she's offering it to him because there was another kid there. While the teacher does roll call, they notice Ricky Linderman is absent and a hush fills the room. Clifford asks Carson, the kid on his other side, who Linderman is, and he says, No one. Just a local mass murderer. Moody supposes out loud that Linderman is probably climbing the Empire State Building. When the teacher calls Clifford Peach's name, Melvin says, I knew he was a fruit. And the class laughs together until the teacher responds, What? What was that, Melvin? And clearly he hates his own name Mm -hmm. and instructs her that he is Big M. And then Clifford asks, Is that BM for sure? (laughs) And gets a solid laugh from the class. So already I was what I was thinking about with this movie was that Adam Baldwin was going to be the bully. And this moody kid who's like getting lots of laughs, who's tough, but maybe has like a little bit of a... Because he brings to the teacher an apple. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so he's tough, but he's also kind of caring, like... This is going to be the bully, the guy he hires to be the bodyguard, and they're yeah. going to have like a little bit of a rivalry first. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you got it backwards. Chuck Testa. Later in some lab class, Clifford seems to be decorating a fish tank or something, as Carson tells him that what he did was real dumb. You shouldn't try and pick a fight with Big M. And, and how old is this kid? Compared? I don't know, because he seems another two years younger than yeah. Clifford. Uh, this is the kid's only movie, too. Yeah, he was, I, I looked up the ages because I was curious because I thought that everybody was so well cast and everyone was pretty much playing their age, but he was like a year or two younger than the rest of them. The rest of them were pretty much like 15 playing 15. Yeah. He was like, you know, 12 or 13. He, he must have been someone's nephew. Yeah. I mean, because it's just, it's, it's, I don't think His that last he, name is, is like Quant or something like that and it didn't match anybody else yeah. in the credits. But it, it, it just seems weird to cast a kid unless you were trying to. I don't, I, I disagree. I don't think it is weird because I feel like when you're at that stage of high school, it's realistic that people are sort of at different stages of development. And there were kids that mm. were that looked so much younger than everybody else. Yeah. And there were those kids, you know, that looked so much older and giant, you know. I'm sure they auditioned else. so many people. And when that kid came in, they were probably just like, you have the same energy of what we're looking for. And you're a little bit younger, but we'll just we'll excuse it away. It's fine. But basically, this kid, Carson, is giving Clifford the Marcellus Wallace speech from Pulp Fiction. He says that you shouldn't have tried to piss off Melvin and uh, that you're going to get in trouble. And and last year, he threw a kid out a window and he's a vegetable now, which is basically exactly what they say about Marcellus Wallace. He's like, then what did Marcellus do? Sent a couple of cats over to his place. They took him out on his patio, threw his ass over the balcony. But it's like the same the same joke, and then the guy, he doesn't die, but he's a vegetable after in Pulp Fiction. The teacher stops by to compliment the feng shui of this fish tank. You've done this before. Yeah. Why would anyone have done this before? <laughs> and why are they doing it now? Yeah. <laughs> Carson tells Clifford that all the kids are paying Moody protection money, so Clifford hides out in the school library until he hears his ride show up after school. But on his way out, he is harangued into the boys' room where Moody and his goons tell Clifford the deal. We know you're rich, and you have to pay us money so you don't get fucked with. It's a dollar a day. They claim that they will protect him from guys like the absentee Linderman, 
who Moody claims blew a kid's brains out. Clifford refuses to pay their dollar protection. It reminds me of the big brawl yep. where, where they're uh, we're like, you can pay us to protect you from us. Yep. And and like Jackie Chan's father in that film, uh, he does not agree to this extortion. And Moody loses his patience and scoops a cup of water out of the toilets before inexplicably telling Clifford to eat it. Eat this. <laughs> First of all, you just put your hand in a fucking gross toilet. And secondly, eat it? Is there shit in this cup? Because if not, I don't typically eat water. Uh, Clifford shoves the cup of toilet water back in Moody's face and runs off. He runs to an auditorium where a girl is rehearsing a ballet and is chased downstairs to the front door where he gets in his car and escapes. This chase goes on for a little too long. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this bathroom was on the first floor and that Mm -hmm. he would have been able to run straight out the school door. Yeah. And uh, also, I was just the whole time he was running around, I was like, these kids know this school way better than you 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 had to ask where your classroom was at the beginning of the day yeah like i I get you could just be like running from room to room but it seems like they would have the upper hand of being able to cut him off yeah if they knew where he what his goal was especially since there's four of them so they could split up Uh, we get a quick scene of clifford eating breakfast at the hotel kitchen the next morning griffith bitches to the chef about his cold soup he says, you know how cold my soup was? And then Clifford and the other guy sitting at the table go, how cold was it? <laughs> then we're on the roof. I don't know if this is the roof or just a balcony of the hotel at night. Well, here's the thing is I don't think it's that if, – if it's part of the hotel, it's a separate building. Because later on when they're up on the up on the roof, they look down and you can see the hotel entrance, but it's on the other side of the street. Oh, that's weird. And it'll get weirder when we get to that scene. Yeah. But either way, they're on what is either a balcony or just a rooftop area. And Grandma's picking out horses for tomorrow's races. Clifford is using the rooftop telescope to find women undressing by their open windows. And Dad steals the telescope away when Clifford locks in on a topless girl. Dad says he heard about the bullies and he put a call into the school. And Cliff is pretty sure that he's fucked now. Like, this should not have happened and it's a bad it's a bad thing he's finding out about. Grandma says that if they try to do anything... <laughs> Right for the eye, see? Hit him hard as you can. Blind him. Takes a fight right out of him. After she leaves, the father and son fight over the telescope <laughs> with dad winning because he says, I need this more. <laughs> no. I'm older. I need this more. It's a very disturbing it, bonding it, moment. It, it was really funny because they're both far away from it and then they just both make a run for yeah. it. As soon as she's gone. Like, they they didn't care before. I don't know why they would, needed to wait for her to leave now. We cut to the principal's office where Moody is getting a dressing down for his extortion racket. After he's excused, the principal takes Clifford aside and basically says, hey, you weren't in a private school anymore, so you don't have to be such a pussy about everything. Yeah. Like, if you come to me with all your problems, he says, Just don't cry wolves every time somebody looks at you across Predictably, Moody follows Clifford away from the principal's office and lets him know that was a real stupid mistake. In class, the teacher's going over Romeo and Juliet when suddenly she freezes in her tracks and swallows hard when she notices Linderman showing up late to class. He's a couple feet taller than anybody in the room, including the teacher, and he takes a seat behind Carson, much to Carson's chagrin. During a basketball game later, Clifford steals the ball from Moody and then takes an elbow for it. In the locker room, he finds his clothes buried in rotting garbage, and Clifford tries hiding out in the boys' room, 
to avoid paying the protection money again, but they know he's in there. They're just waiting for him. Yeah. Well, he's making it a little too obvious that yeah. he's watching them. Like he goes, he steps up onto the toilet to hide, but then opens the stall door to peek through it. It's just yeah. like, no, just stay there yeah. and stay quiet until they leave because they can clearly see you in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, they harass him for a moment until Linderman rises from the next stall over and they seem scared off. Was he also holding his feet up? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think I, they just I, knew he was there and didn't care. Uh, is that not how you go when you sit down? <laughs> how do you use the bathroom? <laughs> I brace for impact. <laughs> <laughs> Clifford follows Linderman away and offers to pay him the protection money, so at least it's not extortion at that point. Linderman is not interested. At the hotel for breakfast, Griffith tells Dad that Mr. Dobbs the big boss of this place will be paying them a visit soon. When Dad asks why, Griffith says, Search me. Which I assume is code for, I called him to try and get you fired so I can have your job. In the cafeteria later, one of the bullies trips Clifford and he drops all of his food. And later, rowing across a lake, Clifford asks some classmates what Linderman even did. One kid says that he heard that he raped a teacher and shot a cop. I feel like he wouldn't just be back in the classroom if that was the case. Uh, Carson corrects that all he did was shoot a kid, but that he knows it for a fact. After swim practice later, we see Clifford moving through the locker room where a kid is getting hassled by the bullies for not paying his protection money. And the kid points out, well, Clifford's not paying, so I didn't think I had to anymore. So Moody and this other kid shove Clifford into a locker just as Linderman's entering the locker room. And uh, Clifford's in this locker for a minute, like pounding on the door. And then you see Linderman like start to walk towards him and then just walk completely past (laughs) him. And you think like, oh, it's just a funny fake out. But then he does come back and let him out of the thing. So it's a fake out and then a fake out. Yeah, a fake in. Um, But he, as soon as the door opens, even though Clifford can see who it is, he just curses him out and invites him to take his turn beating him up because he's, he's sick of it. Somewhere at this, I, I don't know if this is like a diner, it's a local hangout like that a, all the teenagers go to. It seems to be a deli because they're slicing meat like on the regular. Like, yeah. Um, but also what's prominently featured. What? RC Cola. Oh, your favorite. <laughs> I like, it's like, oh, they're handing out cans of RC. Uh, but I liked, uh, <laughs> this is probably my favorite line of the movie here. Moody turns to Shelly and he says, Hey, Shelly, I'll go to the movie tonight. I guess so. Sure. Yeah, you have a real good time while you're there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he just starts laughing at her, and her face just, like, melts. She's, like, so happy that she thought she got invited out by her crush, and then she's just pissed Does off. Does she have a crush on him? Yeah. Yeah. That's why she saved the chair for him. Suddenly, Clifford walks in and just starts spraying the whole line of assholes with ketchup and mustard before dumping a shake over Moody's head, although it looks really watered down. Uh, Clifford then books it across the street and they all chase him into traffic. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the plan? <laughs> they all just die. <laughs> they get run over by cars. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Um, Clifford hides behind Linderman across the street who tells them all to go home. And <laughs> Moody like tries to rile up his friends like, come on, we could take him together like we could take him. And they're like, nah, fuck you, man. Not a part of this. And a crowd of kids basically applauds. Carson comes out and he flips Moody off to his face and clifford tells linderman that was great you know we're gonna make moody pay back all of his money that he owes everybody and uh, this is wonderful and linderman's like no this was this was a one-time thing this isn't gonna happen all the time so we're we're not friends clifford watches the end of a cheer practice and then he approaches his english teacher who was leading the practice to find out what linderman's story is and at first she's like 
why why do you need to know this and and he just says look i feel like i want to talk to him and everyone's so scared of him and i just want to know what everyone's so scared of and she said well i know one thing and i can tell you what i know do you want to know what i know and he says yes and she says that his brother was accidentally killed when a gun went off in their home and that ricky was the one who found the body and he says thank you clifford tries to engage with linderman at lunch and linderman gets up to walk away from him uh, he lights a cigarette on his way out of the school and Clifford jokes that they will stunt his growth because he's already <laughs> eight feet tall. And he does like this, like, like gotcha dance. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, he's that's like, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, he gets a ride from the hotel employee that drives him to school and they follow Linderman down the street until he turns down a one-way alley and Clifford has to jump out of the car to keep up. Clifford tells Linderman that he heard about his brother and it could have happened to anyone. Linderman tries to ditch him, but then Clifford's like, wait, where am I? <laughs> like, I have no idea where we are now. So instead, Linderman leads him to a mechanic shop where he's working on a motorcycle, and he lets Clifford jump on it. He's been building this bike for over a year, but he can't seem to find the right cylinder for it. So they head to a junkyard together. On the way there, Clifford tells his story. His mom died a while back, and his grandma moved in with them. She's crazy, and she gets drunk and hits on guys all the time. And Linderman's like... <laughs> kind of impressed by it it's like oh you have a cool grandma um exploring the junkyard linderman talks about his brother and how he basically raised him himself from the age of two that he was kind of a handful and he didn't follow instructions and uh and he just ends it with poor kid clifford runs up to linderman with a few wrong cylinders and eventually the right one to finish this bike and we freeze frame on linderman excited before fading to them riding the bike down the street mm-hmm it's it a weird a, choice yeah it was very weird uh they're riding through the city with clifford on the back and then they trade places so clifford is driving this motorcycle with uh with linderman on the back mr dobbs shows up at the hotel that night and griffith leads him directly to grandma in the bar like all right immediately get in a get in an mm-hmm. argument i want this to boil over instantly on the roof clifford shows linderman the telescope as well as what it's pointed at dad checks out a customer and it seems clear they have a thing going on on yeah. the side Suddenly, George Went shows up, and his credit here is engineer. He's letting Dad know that the air conditioning will take two days to fix. And so Dad suggests, oh, well, let's do it overnight so that it's we're only missing one day. While, uh, while the dad is talking to George Went about the air conditioning, he gets a call uh, that his mother's in the bar with Mr. Dobbs, and there's been an incident. And by the time he gets there, he has Linderman and Clifford with him, and dobbs is sitting in a chair like huffing and puffing like he's having some kind of an attack it seems like he's like winded and she's fanned like yeah. she's fanning him with a brochure i think it's a menu from the restaurant and she's she's fanning him with and uh she tells dobbs that he told her he could handle a dance <laughs> like it's his fault that he's huffing and puffing here and griffith comes over and he's like do you know do you even know who this man is you've really done it this time peach your goose is cooked but then Dobbs is like, back off, Griffith. Like, I was just dancing with this lady, and I'm excited to dance some more. And he stands up, and the two of them sort of step away together, and Dad just fires Griffith right here. Yeah. He's just like immediately like, hey, why don't you go back to scheduling and just schedule somewhere for yourself to be tomorrow mm-hmm. because you don't work here anymore. This seemed like a plot point that should have come at the end of the movie. Yeah. Like, all these things that are going wrong with the hotel – he should be more flustered about trying to get the hotel in perfect condition only to have this be like the saving grace was the grandmother the whole time because 
this it's, plot this plot thread is done now yeah they, they've like, this t- totally line. solved the b plot yeah <laughs> two-thirds of the way through the movie or halfway through the movie dobbs tells dad that he runs a lively hotel and it's met with his approval grandma tries to pull linderman away for a dance and instead they sit down to a meal together at the hotel she continues flirting with him at a table through a palm reading hey terrific hotline you got a lot of girlfriends no ma'am <laughs> i'm talking in the future smart guy you're also very intellectually inclined i think that's in the future too clifford notices scars from a suicide attempt and stupidly asks what they are before linderman is able to hide his hand i feel like even at this age the kid wouldn't have asked that yeah because he seems precocious like i feel like he would know what this is from mm-hmm. but he's like oh what's that what, what's going on over there uh grandma assures grandma assures linderman that he's safe here that he's among friends and that his lifeline is a long one of course she's not accounting for the fact that his hands are just twice as big as everyone else's so <laughs> yeah andre the giant didn't live as long as he should have banana hands we cut to Linderman sitting with Clifford and his friends joking about the palm reading. Also at the table here are Shelley, Carson, and the feature film debut of Jennifer Beals, who would make her mark three years later in Flashdance, but has no lines in this film. Moody and the boys show up, and he brought someone he'd like Clifford to meet. Moody hired a bodyguard named Mike. This is weird for a couple of reasons. Firstly, this guy is not in high school. No, he looks like he's in his 20s at least. Yeah, he's a full-on adult. Presumably, he's being paid up front at the moment Mm -hmm. and will eventually make a share of Moody's protection racket, at which point, if he isn't just getting arrested for assaulting children, (laughs) why bother with Moody? Just take the money from everyone. It's not like Moody is operating a real company that bears any liability. Mm -hmm. Mike immediately picks a fight with Linderman, though. Yeah, also a good plot twist would be Mike saying, hey, where's my money, Moody? Yeah. Like, like, like that Moody could lose control of this situation. That's yeah. what I That's what I wanted to happen at the end of this big fight, was that it would just be like, okay, well, where's my money? Like, you said you were going to pay me today. And he's like, oh, look, I told you I'd have it. I just got to get And it turns out that he was planning on collecting from the kids before mm-hmm. he paid him. Yeah. He tells Linderman that he picks on kids and that he rapes old ladies. And then he accuses him of having killed his own brother a charge that Linderman denies here. Mike yanks him off the park bench and throws him to the ground to intimidate him. But when Linderman stands up, he's still a few inches taller than Mike. And Mike's not like super muscular or anything. I feel like he would lose this fight in real life. But also it's really important. And I was, this is where I really started to get into this movie. Like, like really kind of passionate. Yeah. And I, I was just like going, don't do it don't do it he's trying to get you and you just gotta stand there take it i was like sweating watching this movie i was so upset for linderman in this situation but basically what follows is a long uncomfortable sequence of mike shoving linderman around and linderman just refusing to fight back linderman tries to leave and then mike starts fucking with his bike he knocks it over he's like kicking pieces off of it and then moody takes it and rolls it into the pond that they're all eating around after the bullies leave, Clifford asks why he didn't fight, and Linderman just runs away. Clifford tries to find him at the shop where he was working on the bike, and then at his house where his mom says, Oh no, he's late home and I'm worried. Like, if you if you see him, tell him I'm worried. Clifford heads back home where he finds Linderman on the balcony roof thing, and he, like, appears from out of shadows to ask Clifford for money. 
before turning to leave. I, I thought it was a weird moment. I'm not clear yeah. like what the metaphor here is. I, I think I think it was and this is this is a bit of a stretch. Was he comes up to Clifford and says, You got money, give it to me. Yeah. And and Clifford is more than happy to shell out this money to a friend. Yeah. Where if it was Moody like saying, Got money, give it to me, he would resist. And I think I don't know if Linderman was trying to prove something to himself because he says, all I have is $6. It's, it's all yours. Like, yeah, I mean, and he takes it. Yeah, he takes it. And, and then he says, Clifford, you're a good kid. And, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't tell. I thought it was like a criticism of like, you're asking me to fight for you for free now because we're friends. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the deal. Like the deal was you would pay me and then I would protect you. And that was what made it even. But now it's like, I'm your friend and I have to protect you for free. Mm-hmm. So he's like, just give me money so that we can seal the deal and we're done here. Mm. That's a good, that's a, good interpretation but um and it's just a message like don't hire your friends (laughs) clifford follows linderman down the fire escape now and across the bridge and up to a subway platform and linderman finally breaks and he tells clifford what really happened he says he didn't find his brother he killed him he shot him apparently his brother wanted to play with their father's gun and it went off while he was trying to keep it away from the kid and his brother's last words were you're going to have to take the blame for this one because he thought he was going to get in trouble for playing with the gun. Mm-hmm. And he said, I couldn't even do that right. I put the gun I put the gun in his hand and said I found him that way. This is the first time he's telling anybody this. So, like, his family doesn't know this, presumably. No police know this. A couple of the kids at school know it because they guessed it. Mm-hmm. But they don't know it for a fact. And now Clifford's the only person he's ever told this to. And And probably for him, it's therapeutic. It's the first time that he's ever getting this off of his chest and now yeah. that someone knows he can he can relieve himself of some of the guilt clifford reminds him that it wasn't his fault what happened and that he clearly didn't mean for it to happen linderman just gets on the next train to leave on the way to school the next day clifford shelley and carson see linderman rolling his bike out of the pond moody notices this and he calls mike over again to take the bike away mike and linderman have a real fight this time and when it becomes clear that mike is losing Moody tries to interfere until Clifford intervenes and yeah. pulls Moody away. Yeah. I was like, get in there. I was and mad ha- they weren't helping yesterday. Yeah. Right. I, I, like, I, I, again, I thought this movie was going to be like with, with Mike pushing around, Linderman around that all the kids in school were going to be like, no, we're done putting, we're not, right. we're done with this and yeah. we're all going to stand up right. to and you. And as a unit, we are better, bigger, yeah. Yeah. stronger uh, than you. Uh, apes together strong. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's from either. <laughs> if you know what that means, I was supposed to comment. Uh, if you know what that means, send $100 to P.O. Box. What? Uh, but even at this point, like Clifford is just watching Linderman get beat up. And then even when Moody starts to hold him, I was like, dude, get in there. Yeah. I mean, I understand standing back for the one-on-one portion of the fight. Right. But as soon as Moody jumps into it, it's like, no, 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 no. Fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has to stop this. Uh, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> Jack, Jack's been saying that a lot lately. <laughs> I played that clip for them over and over again. And now Jack, every once in a while, go, I did not hit her. <laughs> I did not. It's going to be great when he does that yeah. in school. <laughs> um, you got to Lin- teach him the oh, hi, Mark. So yeah, people oh, hi, will Mark. understand. 
Linderman finishes off the fight with Mike and then just sits and watches the Clifford and Moody fight. And he's like coaching him like a boxing coach. Mm-hmm. Every time Clifford gets punched off into the corner, he's like, all right, now you got to, you know, keep yourself covered. You got to go for the nose. You got to start mm-hmm. punching faster. And, and he keeps throwing him back into this fight until Clifford finally lands a solid punch in Moody's face. And it, it's funny too, because he's like, right after he says, you got to hit him in the nose, hit him in the nose. And then he hits him in the nose and he just falls in the air. He's like, my nose. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like a cartoon moment. Broke my nose. And then everyone just agrees that they're not fighting anymore. Yeah. And start walking their separate ways. <laughs> but as they're walking away from this finished fight, Linderman says, you know, maybe I should hire you as my bodyguard. And then Clifford says, not interested. Which I think is what, what he said the first time that he approached him. And that's and, the end of he, our film. And he even does it in a deep voice. Yeah. Not, not interested. interested. Yeah, um, that's the end of the movie. Our director, like I said before, was Tony Bill. So far this year, we had him as Niles in The Little Dragons and Dick in Heartbeat. That was uh, uh, Sissy Spacek's boyfriend who was like snobby um, at the beginning of the movie before she leaves Mm -hmm. Dick for two guys. Uh, He has an Oscar for producing The Sting. He was the EP of Little Dragons, and I'm realizing now that that was probably another Market Street film from a filmmaker he believed in who would go on to win Oscars himself uh, because that was a a Curtis Hansen movie. Uh, He also, the the director plays uh, Terry Hawthorne, the president of Warner Brothers in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Writer Alan Ormsby also wrote Little Dragons, he also wrote Porky's 2 the next day and the first substitute film. Producer Don Devlin has lots of TV acting credits in the 50s and 60s. This was his second to last feature producing credit before Witches of Eastwick. Production assistant Dean Devlin, yeah. son of Don Devlin. My also, former boss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also plays Boy in this film. And he's the writer of Independence Day, The 98 Godzilla, and Stargate, among other things. He was the EP on Leverage, where you worked with him, and uh, also the Librarians, and an upcoming Leverage reboot. Oh, they're rebooting it? Yeah, I think Noah Wiley is playing the the lead. Well, I'll watch anything with Noah Wiley in it. Uh, Chris Makepeace was Clifford. He, just before this, was Rudy in Meatballs, and he also played David Lee in The Falcon and the Snowman. But he actually didn't have a lot of credits after this. Adam Baldwin was Linderman. Uh, We just had him in Ordinary People 11 days ago. But this is considered by many to be his feature film debut because, obviously, he has a bigger role in it. Right, right. Uh, though 1980 is fuzzy about release dates, so who can say for certain? He's Animal Mother in Full Metal Jacket and Jane on Firefly slash Serenity. He's also Major Mitchell in Independence Day, written by my bodyguard co-star Dean Devlin. Mm-hmm. And he was also John Casey on 91 episodes of Chuck that I didn't mention. When yeah, We talked yeah, about yeah. him previously. Matt Dillon is Moody. Technically, this was his third role after Over the Edge and Little Darlings, though Over the Edge didn't go wide in America until 82, so we'll cover every Matt Dillon movie. <laughs> Rusty James in Rumblefish. He's Dallas Winston in The Outsiders. He's Bob in Drugstore Cowboy. Healy in There's Something About Mary. Hank Chinaski in Factotum. He was either you or me in You, Me, and Dupree. <laughs> I'm not, not sure which one. Uh, and he's a professional racer, Trip Murphy in Herbie Fully Loaded, the sequel to 1980's Herbie Goes Bananas. Hank Salas played Mike. He plays an inmate in Brubaker earlier this year, so he's not a high school student. And he wraps up his feature film appearances as Johnny in Dr. Detroit three years from now. Those are his only three feature film credits. Joan Cusack was Shelley. She joined the cast of SNL. 
in 85 with Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, and Randy Quaid, each of whom were dropped in 86. She plays Lloyd's sister, Constance Dobler, in Say Anything. Lloyd obviously played by her brother, John Cusack. She plays Alstasia Zevo in Toys. Yeah. She plays Debbie Jelinski in The Addams Family Values. She's Marcella in Gross Point Blank. She's the voice of Jesse in Toy Story 2, 3, 4, 5, Infinity and Beyond. Uh, she's also Sheila Jackson on Shameless and Liz in High Fidelity. Ruth Gordon was Grandma. She's Minnie Castavet in Rosemary's Baby. She's Maud in Harold and Maud. Mama in Where's Papa? Ma in Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. Mrs. Clover in Inside Daisy Clover. Her first acting credit was in something called The Whirl of Life in 1915. <laughs> That's crazy. Martin Mull was Mr. Peach. He was in Serial earlier this year. He's Colonel Mustard in Clue. Leon Carp on Roseanne. Gene Parmesan on Arrested <laughs> Development. Gene! <laughs> Uh, he's present day Doug Kenny in A Futile and Stupid Gesture the present day Doug Kenny who never came to be and his daughter Maggie Mull is a very funny writer uh, I think it, I thought it was interesting that he has a, a very special appearance by yeah credit. it's a weird credit because um, he's not in that much of the movie and like you said that storyline is wrapped yeah. up halfway through it so we don't see him at the end uh, John Houseman played Dobbs he has an Oscar for The Paper Chase in 73 which was only his third film, despite being 71 at the time. He was a longtime acting teacher at Juilliard, and uh, he was in Frankenheimer's Seven Days in May in 1963 and Orson Welles' Too Much Johnson in 38. He's also in Three Days of the Condor, Rollerball, and uh, he was in this year already the old man telling the ghost story at the beginning of The Fog and one of the angels in Holy Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New Sodom, where they're getting ready yeah, to he's, destroy he's like, the town he's like over the again. archangel. He's like the angel in charge. Right. And he's also the one reading the Christmas Carol in Scrooge. America's favorite old fart. Yeah. Uh, Craig Richard Nelson played Griffith. He was Dr. Moss in Three Women. He's the director on Quantum Leap, I think, of the program that sends him from right, person that, to person. That makes sense. Uh, he plays Professor Fredrickson in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's one of the people that's upset about the research that rick moranis is doing at the beginning of the film and he plays a psychic bookstore owner in a small circle of friends earlier <laughs> this year george went uh is the engineer working on the air conditioning he's in cheers and house and fletch and he's jason sudeikis's uncle and we had him earlier this year uncredited as a bartender in bronco billy for i don't even think he's in a shot i think you might see like his arm mm-hmm. um and he'll be back later this year in somewhere in time and we said before, Jennifer Beals was one of Clifford's friends around the table. She's Alex Owens in Flashdance. She's Lucilia Cable in the short-lived Swamp Thing reboot that just got canceled. Uh, so I just wanted to bring up uh, the music was by uh, Dave Grusin, who does a lot of music, but I most notably know him from The Goonies. Um, oh, okay. He did, he did the, the all the sound for the music, all the sound, all the music for The Goonies. He did all the voices for The Goonies. Hey, you guys. That was him sounds when they play the little like bone piano yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure uh that was recorded by them (laughs) (laughs) made from real bones i hope um yeah uh this movie must have been better at the time than it is now i don't think it holds (laughs) up uh especially in the aftermath of the john hughes movies which do what this movie is trying to do a lot better i do think that drillbit taylor is just straight up ripped off of this and that john hughes definitely saw this movie and was like 
I can do this better, and then he did it better. I but never actually saw Drill Bit Taylor, so I don't know how good that movie is. I never saw it either, no. but I'm just saying, I, I think he saw a movie with teenagers in a high school that were relatable kids yeah. compared to what they normally did, and he was like, I can perfect this genre. Yes. Um, and then he did that for a decade, um, but I, I think... Uh, but actually, I would argue that yes those are more entertaining movies i actually really think that the casting for this movie was was spot on no i agree and i think the performances are great i think what where they suffer is the pacing obviously with the b plot but the story in general is weird that you're you're making you're taking a serious drama movie and making it a high concept movie about people hiring a bully yeah. to beat up another bully it's really anticlimactic because yeah. it's I'm not clear what the climax is supposed to be. I guess it's supposed to be the film the the fight at the end, but I'm not sure what character is winning in that fight, you yeah. know? And and or but maybe the climax is supposed to be him making a friend? I don't I don't know. I don't know what the point is. I I thought the where it officially lost me is when the bully hires another bully and i was just like what are we doing like we're just building a movie on top of another movie Mm -hmm. like i don't understand how this happens realistically where moody now having less money for the last couple weeks because people aren't paying him anymore is suddenly able to pay a person to protect him and it's like that's taking all of his bully cred away because he's paying someone to protect him but no one's trying to attack him yeah so he's spending money on a guy to instigate fights it's not a bodyguard it's a mercenary right (laughs) and it's like it's an adult like where did you meet this guy it's just such a strange plot twist and for it to happen so late in the game too just threw me off and it felt like the screenwriter was just like what happens next i don't know i guess he hires someone if you established up front that moody is like also a trust fund kid who has money to spare on this then sure that he could hire somebody to do this yeah you took away his game what would make more sense is if he hired somebody else to be the bully that wasn't associated with him not as a guy to protect him but be like look you need me to protect you from this guy yeah that i'm not associated with definitely not paying him to beat you up yeah just introduce like a new outside force that oh i can protect you from that guy right but uh, it's weird. It's a little weird. I think the ending gets flubbed a little bit. But I'm obviously at the time this could have been completely revolutionary in terms of a portrayal of high school, and it's not fair for me to judge it from 2020. But I think that it's not as great as all the reviews that I read said. Oh, are people generally favorable of this film? Yeah, it it won a lot of like independent film awards and stuff like that. Huh. Um, where does this go uh, up or down? Uh, I give this movie an up. I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, uh, I had a good time. And like I said, I got really into it at the end and, and really it was just like angry. It was like at Clifford. I was like, get in there and help your goddamn friend. Um, I I like that your two passionate moments were do not fight and fight. (laughs) Well, because, because the first one was just like, no, don't do this. Don't get down to his level. Don't, don't let him, don't let him drag you down. But then it's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this shit. You you beat him up. Well, you uh, have to feel like Moody felt like he wasted his money when he was like, he's like, all right, here's twenty bucks. Go beat that guy up, and the guy doesn't even fight back. He's like, yeah. well, I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just pulled him on the ground and threw him around. But he was too scared to. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah, all this paying for. Did this did this hit like a 
a nerve for you? Were maybe, you bullied in high bit. school? You know what? Maybe a little bit. Maybe this this is uh, drag, dragging up some uh, some deep seated uh, core issues. Of, well, you know, though, <laughs> I I give it a thumbs up. It's not super high on my list, but I think yeah. just because of the cast and the performances yeah. and everything, it gets a thumbs up. I agree with that. I think I'm giving it the thumbs up. It's not high on my list, no. um, but. I don't think that there's a lot aside from the ending that I could say is exactly wrong with this film. Sure. I just think it leaves a lot to be desired. I feel like you can do a movie where a guy accidentally killed his brother and it's a very dramatic yes. character yes. piece, or you can move to a movie where a bunch of kids pull together and hire a kid to beat up another kid. Yeah. But it feels weird to put them in the same movie. That, that I think that very much sums it up. I think that it could have been really funny or it could have been a more impactful drama, but it, it was somewhere in the middle and it didn't know what it wanted to be. Yeah. Um, where's this going on your list, Richard? Uh, uh, so I'm probably gonna have this much higher. Um, uh, I actually have this, uh, just below hopscotch now. For, okay. So it's in the number 33 position. So it's below Hopscotch and above Night of the Juggler. Okay. Jess, where's this going for you? Lower. It's going 73rd. It is below The Hunter, but above Smokey and the Bandit 2. All right. I have it at 83rd. It is just under The Final Countdown and just above Roadie. I think that's everything we have for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Resurrection which IMDb describes like so. A woman enters the afterlife briefly after a car crash that kills her husband, but she survives and finds herself possessing strange powers. We leave you now with the trailer for Resurrection. Oh, look, there's Mom. Yes, that's my Oma. When she was 18... God rest her sweet soul. She was so beautiful. Inside and out. Wait a minute, who's this? Let me see. That's Bill Condon, Don Stratton. Bill had the grocery in Goliad. Used to give you free candy every time it took you in. Don was the blacksmith. Used to come here to shoe before John got tractors. Those great friends used to go hunting up Nebraska way. <laughs> got caught in a flood just outside Ogallala. Drowned. I know them. Why, you couldn't remember, child. You, you was only two and a, and a half at the time. Oh, there's your brother Sam when he come home on leave just for going over to Vietnam. So many crossed over.